Well, good morning. It's hard to believe that this is just week 17 of doing this online church, and actually that it's, it's in the middle of the fifth month where we've been doing this. And as many others have said previously, I just can't wait to, to be back together in person. So I can't wait to see all of you eventually. So I just want to say, please, please be in prayer um, for all the elders and everybody making these decisions to when we can gather again. And I just long to see you so much. And, and this is only my second time preaching to you like this, although, you know, I've often been playing the guitar or, or the bass in the back or even leading the service a couple of other times on, on occasion. Um, but this is only my second time back in the pulpit, and, and I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to preach today from First John. And as we read, as we consider and think about what God is telling us in his word today on this Sunday of 2020, I hope that, that we'll all be challenged, but also encouraged at the same time. Um, so just before we read the passage again, I want to I wanna start by asking you something. I want to get your brains thinking a little bit, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to loft an easy, simple question. Ready? What is love? <laughs> what is love? Okay, so, so maybe admittedly I was a little sarcastic when I said that it would be an easy question, although some of you might have had an answer, and that's great. But I know that whenever I've been asked this kind of a question before, it's, it's often hard for me to give, you know, that, that crisp one-line answer that, that love is this. So I just want to tell you that because it's okay if you found it hard as well. But, but why do we find it difficult to answer that question? I mean, if we look around us, isn't, isn't love everywhere? We have, we have countless movies that we've seen and TV shows that talk about love. It's, love is in our relationships. It's, it's in our conversations. We, we sang about it just a few moments ago, and, and yet it's, it's not so easy for us to define. It's, it's a huge part of our culture, but it's not consistently defined. And I think part of the reason that is is because our world, well, the world doesn't even really agree on what love is in, in a lot of cases. One song that, that comes to mind for me is um, that song, What is Love, by, by Hadway. I don't know if you've ever just listened to the lyrics before, but I'm going to read them out. So, so here you go. Here are the lyrics to, to What is Love. What is love? Oh, baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Oh, baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. What is love? Yeah. No, I don't know why you're not fair. I give you my love, but you don't care. So what is right and what is wrong? Give me a sign. What is love? Oh, baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. What is love? Oh, baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Whoa. Whoa, whoa. Whoa. Whoa, whoa. Oh. Oh. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You get the point. Oh, I don't know. What can I do? What else can I say? It's up to you. I know we're one. Just me and you. I can't go on. And then there's some more, some more courses and some more woes. I want no other. No other lover. This is our t- life, our time. If we are together, I need you forever. Is it love? And then again, it ends off with some more courses and some more woes. I mean, I mean aren't those just great lyrics that tell us what love is? <laughs> or, or maybe not. I, th- I think it's safe to say that, that Hathaway, when he wrote this song, he didn't really 
have an answer to that question, what is love? And I mean, those lyrics, they, they don't really say anything. And, and then there are other examples in our world. You, you've probably heard things like, like love wins or, or love is a feeling or it's a choice or love hurts or love is blind. Maybe you've, you've even heard of um, this relatively new Netflix TV series called Love is Blind where the whole premise is to essentially answer that question and to test whether or not love is really blind. So, so what they do, it's kind of like an experiment. They get a bunch of men and women to, to talk to each other one-on-one, but in separate rooms so they can't see each other. And they go through this, this dating phase. And, and once they've done that, then they, then they propose to each other and they get engaged and then they can finally see each other. And the show attracts them from that initial moment of, of that dating phase all the way to the wedding day. But I mean, the whole premise, it, it's really awful because, I mean, relationships, they don't, they don't really work like that. And a lot of the contestants, they do leave just emotionally scarred. So the show, it doesn't really give us any kind of answer or help us define love. But I do think it says something about the world. I think that it says something about the world that people would, would spend all of this money, this time, and this energy to try and run this, this weird kind of experiment to, to answer the question, is love really blind? And this isn't also just on the cultural big picture perspective. I think we, we also deal with this in our families and, and in our marriages. It's easy for us um, to, to romanticize love, to, to confuse unconditional and conditional love. Le- Leanne and I had to go through this and wrestle with this when we got married last year as we wrote our wedding vows. Like a lot of other couples, we, we wanted to have these, these huge, awesome vows that would just declare our love for each other for, for the ages. And we wanted to write vows that, that made these massive promises um, that like, I'll love you in every situation, no matter what, or whenever you're sad, you're sad, I promise that I'm always going to cheer you up. Or that I promise that every day for the rest of our lives, I'm going to wake up and, and cook you breakfast to show you how much I love you, but, but then there was also this, this reality check, Real, the reality that our love, it, it wouldn't be perfect, and that times we, there would be times that we don't love each other unconditionally. It's almost like there was this like Disney version of, of what we wanted our vows to be, but then also the real version of what our love really would be like. And I I can't see any heads nodding right now, but I hope at this point that you would agree with me that as a culture and also as individuals that we're often confused and we're easily confused, especially when it comes to things like love where our world just has so many competing ideas as to what love actually is. And this raises the question, how, how do we come to the end of that confusion and we, we come to the end of that confusion, well, by hearing and seeing the truth. And, and that's what John is doing in this passage and in this letter as, as he writes to churches who are likely also confused, confused about what it means to be a Christian and if they really are Christians. So spot, John responds to that by, by telling them the truth, the truth about God's love and the truth about Christianity. So today, like John, I want to, I want to do just that. I want to address any confusion that's out there. I want to share with you the truth of this passage, but then also the truth about love. And see, I think this is so relevant because our world, it's, it's in desperate search for a true and real 
love, but it's not looking in the right places tragically. So today we're going to go to the right place. We're going to go find the truth and we're going to go to the word of God. And if you take one thing away from the sermon, if, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this point down because this is basically like the sermon in a sentence. We love because Jesus has brought us into the light. We love because Jesus has brought us into the light. So let's read again, once again, 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and 14. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So starting right away at verses 7 and 8, we see that John is writing a commandment, although he doesn't really tell us what that commandment is because he, he assumes that his readers know it because it's the word that they've heard before. But thankfully, with, with some careful reading of some other passages in, in 1 John as well as John's gospel, we can be confident about what this command is. And we, we know that this commandment here is to love one another. And that's, that's going to be the first point, that we are commanded to love one another. We are commanded to love one another. John, later in this letter in chapter 3, verse 11, he says that for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And the connection here is that that, that command that he's talking about here is the message or the word that they have heard from the beginning. And in the beginning here, it's just likely referring to the first time that these people would have heard the gospel being preached to them. And no doubt that this command was also issued by Jesus himself. We can see that in John's gospel in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, as well as John chapter 15, verses 12 13, as Jesus commands his disciples to love, he, he says in chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you. And notice the similar language that he's using here. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then in John 15, again, notice the similar language. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Clearly that commandment that John's talking about here is the command to love. And, and this also makes sense given how John describes this command in our passage. He says that this command to love, is, it's an old command that his readers 
have already heard from the beginning. And I'm sure that's also true for many of you who, you know, have probably been around church a few times. You've probably heard that we should love each other. And you've also probably heard the famous verse, or at least part of that famous verse from Leviticus chapter 19 that says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Some people have even deemed this the golden rule. And this is an old command because we've, we've heard it so many times. And these people who John was writing to had also heard it over and over again. It's an old command. But at the same time, John writes, it's, it's also a new command. And admittedly, that it's a little confusing right at start because, I mean, how can something be, be old but also new at the same time? I promise it does make sense. And, and here's how it it's an old commandment because they've heard it before, but it's a new commandment as well because the commandment has been radically transformed by Jesus. When Jesus came into the world, he transformed what it means to love and what it means for us to love each other. And we can see this with, with a closer end at, at the end of verse 8. Clo- sorry, a closer look at the end of verse 8. It says that the command to love is a new command which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And from Pastor Steve's sermons in John's Gospel, as well as just the few that I've preached from this book in First John, you may have noticed that John the writer, he, he really likes to use this imagery of light and darkness. He loves to contrast the two. In, in his writings, the world is in darkness and then Jesus is the light. Earlier in this letter, in, in John, 1 John 1, 5, John even told us that the message is that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And, and he uses the phrase walking in the light to, to describe Christians as, as they walk with God or have a relationship with God. And that's really, really, really important for us to understand. So I'm going to say that, that again. John uses the phrase walking in the light or being in the light to describe a Christian's relationship or walk with God. And so keeping that in mind here at the end of verse eight, when John talks about the darkness passing away and, and the true light already shining, we can think about it kind of like a dark room with blinds. The room itself, it's, it's dark. It's got no lights and, and the blinds are closed. But with the light outside, if you open up those blinds just a little bit, the light begins to enter the room, and as the blinds open more and more, the brighter the room it gets. And likewise, the world was in utter darkness until Jesus came, for, for Jesus is the light of the world. And, and as his kingdom grows, as his church grows, and more and more people become Christians and walk in the light with him, the world gets brighter, and the darkness itself, it passes away. Just like when you open up those blinds more and more, that dark room, it gets brighter. And this all relates to this new love commandment because Jesus radically transformed what it means for us to love. See, there's a difference between the, the world's love in the darkness and then Jesus' love in the light. If you look back at that passage in, in John chapter 13, Jesus says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And well, how will all people know that We are his disciples by our love for each other. Because that love for each other that we have, it's a real love. And it's so different from the world's version of love. And and it's different because of our example of love. It's different because 
the example that we have in Jesus. His new commandment in John's gospel is, is to love each other as he has loved us. Jesus himself is the ultimate example of how we need to love one another. And, and since he loved us and we, and we follow him and we try to love like him, as John says in our passage today, this new commandment it is true in him and also in us. And see, real Christian love, it's, it's different because it's selfless and it's sacrificial. In, in John chapter 15, Jesus says there's no greater love than this, than someone who laid down his life for his friends. And that is exactly what Jesus has done for us. Jesus loved us by giving his life for ours. And this is why John writes later in 1 John 4, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And, and remember that propitiation here, it's just a big fancy theological word that means to satisfy the wrath of God. So Jesus loved us by satisfying God's wrath for our sin in our place. Or in other words, Jesus loved us by giving his life for ours. And to be clear, the, the point in the application isn't that as Christians we need to literally die for each other and that if you don't, then you're somehow not loving one another. The application here, it's not that I need to go and give my life for, for Steve Da in a literal manner, but the principle here is captured well by theologian Thomas Aquinas as, as he defines love. So, so what is love? To love is to will the good of another. To love is to will the good of another. And, and good here means what is, is to will what is truly best for them. And again, Jesus, he is our great example of this. He didn't, he didn't merely love us by desiring our good, but by giving his life for ours, he gave us goodness by giving us himself. We must love in a way that truly puts others first, even when that hurts us. And that means that we need to love with the truth, especially when it comes to, to sin, because sin, it always leads to destruction. Unlike what our world often tells us, true love, it's, it's not affirming everything about somebody. It's not just never confronting them about anything. And, and this isn't really true love because all you're doing in that scenario is you're loving yourself. You're loving yourself because in that moment, you'd, you'd rather your friend like you than for them to be healed. You'd rather your friend get hurt and like you instead of them not like you and be healed. You're concerned about what they feel about you. You're not concerned about what's really best for them. But a positive example of, of what it means to truly love somebody in this kind of way that looks out for the best of them, we see often in, in good parenting. I know many of you out there are parents watching right now, and I'm sure at some point you've probably told your kids no, or you haven't affirmed them in everything that they want. For instance, if your child wants to, wants to have ice cream for breakfast, you've probably told them no, and you tell them that because you know something that they don't. You know that them having ice cream for breakfast is bad for them and that they shouldn't do that. So you tell them no because it's for their good. Even though they may end up crying or being mad at you, you do it 
anyways, and I can't say that I've experienced that personally, but I imagine that that hurts. And I think that's, that's probably where the phrase comes from. It hurts me more than it hurts you. And on the other side of this, if you're not a parent, you can probably think of a time where your mom or dad have loved you in this way. I know for me, the, the thing that comes to mind is with me and my mom and, and dating. When I was in junior high and even high school, I wanted to be in relationships and, and things like that. But, but mom said that I shouldn't date anybody who's not a Christian. And well, at the time, at least as far as I could tell, I didn't know of any Christians at my school. So that basically mean that I didn't have any real relationships at that point. And that was hard because I really wanted to have those relationships. But now that, I, that I've grown up a little bit and that I've experienced what it means to really be in a good relationship with Leanne, now that I look back over those years, I'm, I'm thankful for the way that mom chose to love me by telling me no, because otherwise I would have end up, ended up having a lot of broken relationships that would have ended up in countless emotional scars. And I'm sure that those conversations at that time, they, they probably weren't easy on mom. I mean, she probably didn't like telling me no, but she loved me enough and looked out for my best interests in that moment because she wasn't thinking about herself. She wasn't thinking about how hard the conversation would be, but what was really best for me. And another example of this that we see of, of true love is with our leaders here at Calvary. I know that if I come into the office one day, for example, and just after a fight with Leanne where we've, we've had a fight and I've been really selfish, although, of course, I don't think I've been selfish, um, but I have been. And if I come in and, and talk with Steve and describe the details of the fight and just say that me and Leanne are we're having a rough go of it, and as he picks up that I'm being selfish in that scenario, he's going to call me out on that. And he's going to tell me that I'm being selfish. And, you know, I might not like Steve in that moment. I might not like him for that day, but that is really him loving me because that's what I need. I need to have that perspective to be able to go back to Leanne then and, and then apologize and say I'm sorry so that our marriage and our relationship can be better. We, we need to be truthful and loving at the same time. And, and when we do this, church, don't miss that. It's, it's going to affect those around us. When people come to our church and they, and they see the way that we love one another and the way that we interact with each other, they're going to notice that that's different. And it, it can spur them on. It, it can plant a seed for them to want to know what, what is so different. How can they have that? How can I have that? And of course, we know that we can only have this kind of love through Jesus. So don't be mistaken that this kind of love, when we do this well and love each other, that this will have an impact of how the outside sees us. We are commanded to love, and and because we are in the light, love is non-negotiable for us. And, And that's point number two, okay? Because we are in the light, love is not negotiable for us. John continues in verses 9 to 11. He says, For whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and he walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The command is non-negotiable for us as Christians because, well, we're in the light. 
Matt, last week, he preached from the book of James, and, and something he said that is that James is one of these books that people, they absolutely love it or, well, they absolutely hate it because James leaves no room for half-hearted and half-compromising faith. And John here, he's, he's kind of similar in this letter. There's, there's, no half, there's no room for half-hearted Christianity here. He's very black and white. He's very hot and cold, light and dark, love and hate. So what he's doing in, in these verses in 9 to 11 is he's contrasting love and hate because he, he puts light and love over here in, in this sphere and connects them. And then he puts darkness and hate over here. So we have love and the light and then hate and darkness. And that means that if we're over here in the light, then, then love is not negotiable. As verse 9 says, whoever says they are in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. And what, what hate means here is it's essentially a lack of love. Just like cold is, is a lack of heat or darkness is a lack of light, hatred exists where love doesn't. And the point here is it's not that we need to be perfect in love. John isn't saying that if you fail to love, then you're no longer in the light. But the point is that as Christians who walk in the light with Jesus, our lives should be character, will be overall characterized by love. And in the light, there's no cause for stumbling. Just think about hiking for a minute with me. I'm, I'm willing to guess that most of you have probably been out on a walk or on a hike. And, and many of you, if you've been in Newfoundland for very long, you've probably been on a walk or a hike on the East Coast Trail. Leanne and I have been, we've been going out for tons and tons of, of hikes and walks since COVID started. Um, and many of them have been on this trail. And something I've noticed about the trail is that there's there's so many roots and, and rocks all over the ground that, that are easy to stumble on. So, so when I'm walking, I'm, I'm always looking down, making sure that I jump around and step in the right places so that I don't trip up. But let me ask you, for, for those of you who have been on these trails or, or something like it, how often have you been walking at night? How often have you gone at night? I'd, I guess that most of you probably haven't gone when it's dark. And, and even if you have, you've probably brought something to, to light the way. And see, we, we choose to walk in the light because we can see in the light. We can look down. We can notice the roots and the rocks on the trail and not stumble over them. We can step in the right places. And, and there's no cause for us to stumble. But if we went in the dark, then we would be blind and, well, we wouldn't know where we are going. So the point that John's making here is that since Christians know Jesus' love in the light, there's no cause for us not to love and stumble into sin. And in the light we walk with Jesus, we can see clearly, just like we see in the day, we, we see how much he loves us and that motivates us to love and, and we look to him as our example of how to love and how to live. But remember that the point here is that not that we'll never stumble, but that we have no reason to stumble. That is, apart from our own failure. Out of my own stu stupidity and clumsiness, and, and you can ask Leanne, there are some times that I go out on a hike or on a walk and I have no reason to trip up, but sometimes I get distracted and I still do. But on the other side, John writes and, and talks about whoever hates his brother, or whoever lacks love, they are in the darkness. 
and they can't see where they're going because, well, they're, they're blinded by that darkness. And John, he's not holding anything back here. The, the opposite of loving in the light over here is, well, hating in the darkness over here. And again, you can think of that like you, if you were going out for a walk at night without a light. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know where you were going, and well, neither do those who are walking spiritually in the dark. And for anybody who's watching right now who is walking in the dark, for anyone who is watching and doesn't know Jesus, who you haven't put your trust and your faith in him, then I have to tell you that you're on a path to a worse place than you can ever imagine. But the good news is that you can come to the light through Jesus. You can be brought out of the darkness and into the light. You just need to put your trust and belief in Jesus. You need to turn away from sin and darkness and come to Christ. And friend, if that's you, if you turn to Jesus, these next few verses, these next few verses, they will be true for you too. There will be a reality for you. And Calvary, Calvary, I want you to know, I need you to know that these next few verses, that these are true for you and, and in them we'll see that what we have in the light. Remember that John is writing here to, to the church to, to give them assurance. His purpose and point are not to try and get Christians to doubt if they're really believers, but to assure them that they are. And in this assurance, we see the foundation of how we turn from hate to love. We turn from hate to love only by knowing and understanding God's love for us. And, and this is our assurance, Christ's love for us. And that's our third and final point. Jesus' love is our assurance that we are in the light. Jesus' love is our assurance that we are in the light. Let's read verses 12 to 14. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. We see right away that there's a little bit of a little bit of a structure change here. As John he addresses children and fathers and, and young men, and he's addressing the church. Remember, and, and these people, these churches will have likely um, different Christians in different stages of their Christian walk, and they'll have new Christians and young Christians and more mature Christians. So even though John addresses these different groups, know that these truths apply to all Christians and. Just as we go through different stages of life, certain things, certain truths will comfort us more and assure us more than others will. And we see that there are three truths here in these verses. We see that three things that we have, three truths we have in the light. We have forgiveness. We have knowledge or relationship with God. And we have victory over the evil one. And these are true for us because of how Jesus has loved us. He, he he loved us by giving his life for ours and by paying for our sin. Because of that, we can be brought in to the light. And because he died for your sin, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. That means that, that every time that you fail to love, that every time that you've been selfish, 
that every time that you've run from God and every time that you've been angry and, and lost control, that God has forgiven you. And I'll say this time and time and time again, that forgiveness, it's, it's past, it's present, and it's future. God has forgiven you. God will continue to forgive you because of how he loves you. And notice that it says, for his name's sake. Your forgiveness in the gospel, guys, it's, it's not ultimately about you. We are not the center of the gospel. We're not forgiven because we earned it, but because Christ earned it for us and died on that cross for us. That's what grace is. Your salvation, it's ultimately about God. He's the author of it, and he's the one who accomplishes it on your behalf. You're forgiven for his name's sake. Just imagine what a tragedy it would have been if if Jesus had come and died on the cross and there was no forgiveness. God himself, Jesus, would have died for nothing. It's for Jesus' sake that you are forgiven because he loved you enough to give his life for yours. And, and it is in God's forgiveness and in his grace that we can find that strength to, to forgive and love each other. If, if a friend or family member or even one of you watching right now says something that, that offends me or, or embarrasses me, it would, be, it would be really easy for me to well, hold that against you. And if I'm holding it against you, that, that means I'm not really going to love you because while I'm mad at you, then I'm not really going to be thinking and doing what is best for you. But if I understand God's grace and I understand his forgiveness in forgiving me for, for all that I've done against him, then that makes it possible for me to forgive and love those who have wronged me. For, for everybody's sin against me is far less than my sin against God. From knowing Jesus' love, we can love each other. And, and because of Jesus' love, we also, friends, we know the Father. And we know him, we know him not just as the Father, but as our Father. John, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 say, but who, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So when we go to God in prayer, we don't go as a, as a friend. We don't go as a servant, but we go as a son or daughter. We come to the relationship just as we are, as we sang about earlier, with nothing to offer. Yet we can come before our Father with confidence and trust knowing that he's going to love us, that he will take care of us and comfort us, that our Father will lead us and guide us, that he'll direct us and teach us and give us wisdom. And guess what? He will do all of that to perfection. And because I know that, that my Father loves me perfectly, that means that when, when he asks something of me or, or commands me to do something in his word, then I listen. I know that he'll never tell me to do anything that's wrong, and I trust that he knows what's truly best for me because, well, he knows everything and his love is perfect. He sent his only begotten son to die for me. So, so when he says that I need to love, when I need to go and love others and I need to love you, I obey because I know it's truly what is best. And that means also that, that when I go to read my Bible and, and pray and hear from God, I don't go because I'm obligated 
but I go because I know my father loves me and that he is going to guide me. I know that when I turn to his word that I'll get a right perspective of him and his love and, and that'll turn my heart into to a heart of, of loving him more and worshiping him and then also it'll give me a heart to love others. So you want to know how to be more loving? You want to know how to be more loving in turn from, from hating to love? Become more and more and more in love with God because he has loved you. Go to his word. Get a proper perspective. Oh, would you just go and know that your God is your father? Would you be gripped by the love that he has for you and would it spur you into a life of obedience and love? Not because you, you, you feel like you're obligated to show your love for God, but because you're desperate to obey him because you know of how much he loves you. Because of Jesus, we know God as our father and we know him who is from the beginning. And the point here again is that, guys, it's that we know God. We can know him deeply and, and that as we get older and, and more mature, our relationship with him, it, it grows and gets deeper and deeper and deeper. We'll never know the, the, the end of God's love. We'll never know the end of his justice, his grace, and his mercy. And that is forever. And finally, friends, we have overcome the evil one. Not only are we forgiven, not, not only do we have a relationship with God, but we are also victorious. We are strong. But it's not our own strength that makes us strong. It's the word of God abiding or remaining in us that makes us strong. So when we face temptations, when we face trials, as Matt Pat preached about last week, be encouraged that you can fight because you're strong. You can fight by going to the word of God. You can open up your Bible, the passages like this one, and, and meditate and wonder about these miraculous truths and promises. And that's how you turn from temptation to worship. And this is why there's no cause for stumbling in the light because we have every reason to worship and, and no reason to sin. There's nothing that Satan can do or use to separate us from the love of Christ. So when you have to decide whether or not to love someone or to forgive someone or to go and get dismayed about COVID-19 or, or to go yell at your kids, you have what it is that you need to turn from that sin and turn to Christ, to turn to the word of God and preach it to yourself. Trust that your father loves you. Pray and turn your eyes and your heart upon Jesus for the, who the son sets free is free. And we're freed from our sin through Christ. We've overcome the evil one. Friends, that is the truth. These are the realities that we have in the light because of Jesus' love for us. I hope and pray, I really do, I hope and I pray that you understand this morning how much God loves you, or at least that you begin to understand how much God loves you. And, and I hope that you are challenged by our command to love one another. So friends, as we close, what is love? Love, it's, it's not just affirming. It isn't merely just a feeling. Love isn't just romance. To love is to will the good of another. To love is the will to will the good of another. And Jesus, he, he gave us the greatest example of love as he, 
he gave himself up for us. And again, he didn't just love us by, by desiring or willing our good, but he gave us goodness when he gave us himself. Because of that love, we have been brought into the light with God. And in the light, we are forgiven. We have relationship with God as our father. And we've overcome the evil one. Jesus' love for us, it's, it's the perfect example and also the perfect motivator for us to love one another. So church, be encouraged and be empowered this week to go and do just that, to go and love. Brothers and sisters, we are commanded to love. Because we're in the light, love is non-negotiable for us. And, and Jesus' love is our assurance that we are in the light. And to sum it all up, the sermon in a sentence, we love because Jesus has brought us into the light. Let's pray. Father God, it's just such a joy and a, a privilege to be here and, and to, to proclaim your word. And I just pray now that your word would be, would be true in, in our lives, that we would love, that we would go out and love each other, and that we would be changed by the power of, of your word and your love. And Father, I just pray that, that you would start with me, Lord, and, and that this would, this would work in, in our congregation, Lord, and that would be ultimately glorifying to you and that from that, Lord, that people would take notice and, and know your love and that others would come to know you, that they would come from the darkness into the light. So, Father, be with us now as we go on with our day and our week, Lord, and help us by the power of your Spirit to love one another. In Jesus' name. Amen.